If you have your Bible, uh, we're turning to John's Gospel, please. John's Gospel, uh, chapter 11. John's Gospel, chapter 11. And whenever you find a place, we're just going to bow uh, together again in a moment of prayer. And you ask the Lord to speak to your heart this morning. That the Lord would have a word in season to all of our hearts. We need a spiritual input into this meeting this morning. We need the Lord to come and to minister to us. To speak into our very situations. Let us bow together again in prayer. Father, we bow before thee this morning. And we thank thee, Lord, for the hymns that we have sang. And we thank thee for the prayer that we've heard. And Lord, now as we gather around your word, we just pray for thy presence and thy help. We pray, Lord, for thy speaking voice. O God, above the voices of men. We pray, Lord, that thou will brood over this hall this morning. We come against, Lord, every device of the enemy. We come against all of the plans that he would seek to hinder and divert in this meeting. And we take authority over them in Jesus' name. We bind every demonic force. And we pray, Lord, that thou will come and break through into this meeting. You know every heart that's here, Lord. You know the very reason why we're here. And yet, Lord, we stand before thee in great need. And so, Lord, we give thee that invitation to come and move in our midst. That we would be conscious, O oh God, above the presence of others. That God himself is here. Father, I ask just now for thy help. That fresh endowment of oil of the Spirit from above. That your word will go forth with power and with authority. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This 11th chapter of John, I'm sure every one of us are uh, well acquainted with it. It's the story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. You know, dear men and women, this is one of the greatest miracles that the Lord Jesus performed in his earthly ministry. The raising of Lazarus from out of the grave, and we're going to look a little bit at him this morning. But you know, I want to just bring you to this chapter, and I want to give you a little bit of an overview before I get into our message this morning. I want you to cast your eye down to verse 1 of John's Gospel, chapter 11, and it says, Now a certain man was sick, whose name was Lazarus. You know, in this home away down in Bethany, not far from Jerusalem, where Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived, there was a day whenever sickness came. And you know, dear friends, this morning, maybe that's the very predicament you're in. Your home, wherever it may be located, and sickness could have crept in just like it did in Bethany. And you know the first thing that happened whenever it came, if you cast your eye to verse 3, it says, Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Here were these two sisters, and they came to the Lord on behalf of their brother. We've been hearing this morning how our brother Adrian was encouraging us to get into the place of prayer. Well, here's two sisters, 
in a need, in a situation in their home, the very first thing that they did was they brought it to the Lord. They brought this situation to him. And I want you to notice this morning, they didn't dictate to him. They didn't tell the Lord what to do. And you know, dear friends, the Lord has been really ministering into my life in the week that has gone by. And so often, even in our times of prayer, even in our prayer meetings, we can, we can dictate to God. Realizing that the one before we come is the Almighty One. And here's Mary and Martha, and this is what they say. Cast your eye to verse 3 again. It says, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Sick. Now I want you to notice first of all, and I want you to remember this. There's the delay of the master. You see, while Mary and Martha didn't tell the Lord what to do, they had an expectation in their heart what he should do. I wonder, are you in this meeting this morning and you've been praying for situations in your family, situations in your home, and you have an expectation in your heart for God to do something? Lord, this situation is dire. Lord, I need you to break through. You see, I'm sure that Mary and Martha expected the Lord Jesus just to set down everything that he was doing and make his way to Bethany, but he didn't do that. There's a delay of the master. You see there, if you cast your eye down to verse 6, it says, When he had heard thereof that he, Lazarus, was sick, he abode two days still in the same place. That word abode there is the word to tarry. It's the word to wait. Now, I just want to talk to you this morning. You know, there's times in all of our life when God seems to tarry. God seems to linger. You're praying for that boy, that daughter, that husband, that wife. And God seems so far away. My, we pray for revival night after night. And yet the cry of many of our hearts, collectively and individually, would be the words of the psalmist, O Lord God of hosts, how long will thou hide thy face from me? And the Lord, he seems to linger. You know, the word of God says that my ways are not your ways. Neither are your ways my ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth are my ways higher than your ways. You know, dear friends, while he waits, He's never late. Let me say that again. Whenever the Lord waits, thank God he's never late. He's never behind time. He's never ahead of time. But he's always on time. On time. There's a man that lives behind us. And in the lockdown, he got his guitar out on a Thursday night and he began to sing some songs over a loudspeaker. A Christian man. And he sang a hymn one, a song one night that was to do with this very story that we're dealing with this morning. And this is the chorus that he sang one Thursday night in the middle of lockdown. He said, when he's four days late and all hope is gone, 
Lord, we don't understand why you've waited so long. But his way is God's way, not yours or mine. Oh, isn't it great? He can be four days late, but God's still on time. I want to tell you this morning, dear friend, in the meeting, whatever situation you're in, he's never behind time. He's never ahead of time. He's always on time. You remember Joseph. You remember Joseph, that young man that God gave the mighty promises and dreams to. My, he's seen the, the promises of the Lord came time and time again to him, and his brothers despised him. My, they took him and they sold him as a slave down into Egypt, down in Potiphar's house. And I wonder, was the cry of Joseph's heart, Oh, Lord, how long? How long? Then he went down into the prison for those years in the dungeon. The psalmist says that they put his feet in the fetters and he was hurt with the iron. How long, Lord? How long is it going to be before you intervene? But it says, until the word came. There was a day whenever the word came from the king and took, took Joseph from the prison and set him on the throne as a prime minister. God was on time. What about Moses? Moses, that man that uh, rejected the ways of Egypt, he forsook the, all his learning and all the pleasures of sin that were for a season. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. My, in his zeal and in his, in his determination to deliver Israel, he slew an Egyptian soldier on his own, buried him in the sand. And God took him for 40 years away out into the wilderness, minding his father-in-law's sheep. And year after year, 10, 15, 20, 30, 35, 40 years, I wonder was the cry of Moses' heart, Lord, how long? How long, Lord, can this go on? How long, Lord, until you give me the answers to my promise? How long, Lord, until you break through? You know, there was a day whenever Moses was out in the backside of the wilderness and he was minding his sheep like any other day and God intervened. God wasn't late, you know. God was just on time. You find a way back in Genesis chapter 15 that God told Abraham that his seed would be in Egypt in bondage for 400 years. And it says in Exodus chapter 12, when the 400 years were passed on the self-same day, God brought Israel out of Egypt. God was on time. God was on time. I tell you, dear men and women, whenever the Lord seen the state of the world and sin and depravity, way back in Genesis chapter 3, God gave a mighty promise concerning the seed. And he said, I will put enmity between the seed of the woman and between you, and he shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And you know it was 4,000 years later, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. He was just on time. Just on time. I want to say to you, dear friends, this morning, whatever situation you're in, let me say it again, he's never ahead of time. He's never behind time. But God is on time. There's a delay of the master. Secondly, there's a despair of the sisters. If you cast your eye on down to verse 20, 
And it says then, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. Here was a woman with a broken heart. Here was a woman from this little home in Bethany. And Bethany means the house of poverty, the house of sorrow. And you know, often, dear men and women, it's time whenever we're in the deepest sorrow, it's saying that the Lord Jesus himself comes the closest. The man of sorrows, he comes to the house of sorrow. And Martha, she comes to the Lord, and this is what she said, verse 21. She said, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Lord, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And you know, dear friends, she was right. You read through the Gospels and you'll discover that there wasn't one person that died in the presence of the Lord. He's the Prince of Life. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. You know, there's one thing that Martha did. She limited the power of God. She thought that distance was a barrier to God moving. And you know, dear men and women, I've been enjoying that thought during the week that the Lord Jesus at this very moment is on the throne in glory. My, there's a great distance between me and him. But it doesn't hinder him from moving in my life. Distance is no barrier to God. Distance is no hindrance to him. You remember the story of the Syrophoenician woman? And she came to the Lord and she said, Lord, my daughter, you need to help me, Lord. And the Lord Jesus touched, said, go home, thy faith has made your daughter whole. And that woman went the whole way back into the land of Canaan and says whenever she got home, she found the devil had gone out of her daughter. Distance is no buyer to God. Cast your eye on down to verse 32. Not only is there Martha, there's Mary. In verse 32 it says, Then when Mary was come where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell down at his feet. You know, dear men and women, Mary not only came to the Lord, she fell before the Lord. You know, every time that you read of Mary, she's at the feet of the Savior. And I want to ask you a question this morning. How long has it been since you were at his feet? How long has it been where you just got alone, shut the door and opened the book and got alone at the master's feet? How long has it been since you've enjoyed that fellowship, that communion with him? How long has it been since you've basked in his presence? How long has it been since you've heard his tender voice? How long has it been since he touched you? Mary was always at his feet. And I'm sure you've heard it before, but you remember in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, she was at his feet and she was waiting. Martha was cumbered about with much care, but Mary just sat at his feet. She was waiting. And then you'll find her in John chapter 11. She was worshipping. She came with her alabaster box and she poured it out at the feet of the Lord. But you know, here in John 11, she was weeping. She was weeping. And look at it again in verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping. I tell you, dear friends, this morning in this meeting, I wonder who was weeping during the week. 
I wonder was there a night during the week whenever you put your head on your pillow and unbeknownst to anyone around you the tears came down. It says here when he saw her weeping. You remember Hagar. Hagar was mistreated by her employer, Sarah. Treated her harshly. And Hagar ran away into the wilderness. She set her son under a tree and she left him there as it were to die. And she sat down and it says that she wept. And it was Hagar that could say, Thou God seest me. He's the one that sees the tears. Do you know, dear friends, this morning, let me say this to you. The Lord is not only the one that sees the tears. He's the one that stores them. The psalmist David, he could say, Are not my tears in thy bottle? And are they not recorded in your book? Oh, dear mother, this morning in this little assembly, maybe with a broken heart like Mary of a bygone day, Thy God sees me. Lord, you see my tears. You store my tears. But let me say this to you. He shares your tears. He's the great sympathizer. He's the one that can weep with them that do weep. He's the one that draws alongside in the hour of trial and temptation. Verse 35, it says, And Jesus wept. He wept. My, he knew all about weeping. He knew what it was to shed tears. I, I want to say that there's not only here in this chapter, there's not only the delay of the master, and there's not only the despair of the sisters, Quickly, there's a declaration of the crowd. Verse 36. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. You know, whenever the Jews that were gathered around this graveside saw the compassion in the Savior for Lazarus, saw the tears that came down his cheeks, saw the love that he had for this man that was in the grave, they could say, behold how he loved him. I wonder, do they know that about us? I wonder, could people say that in your community or in mine? I wonder, could our neighbors say that about us? That man has a mighty love for souls. I wonder, do they see the compassion for the lost? I wonder, do they see that love for men and women? You know, Jude said us in his little epistle, he says of some having compassion, making the difference. I tell you, dear friends, in the church in Ulster, there's not much compassion. But I want to tell you it'll make the difference whenever it comes. My behold, how he loved them. And you know the reason why they could say that about the Lord Jesus was because of the compassion that he had. But you know, every one of us in this meeting this morning ought to be able to say it, not because of his compassion, but because of the cross. My, you stand there and gaze and see the Son of God with the crown of thorns upon his head. See him there with the nails in his hands and his feet. See him there with his back like a plowed field. You know what you would have to say? Behold, how he loved me. What love? 
Is it any but wonder, Isaac, what could say, see from his head, his hands and feet? Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose? So rich a crown. Behold how he loved him. You're maybe in this meeting this morning and you're still in your sin. You've committed enough sin to damn a thousand worlds and men and women have given up on you. Society has relegated you to, to a corner where they don't want to know anything about you. But I want to say to you this morning as I look at the sinless, faultless, flawless, crimeless, harmless Son of God, you know what I can say to you this morning? Behold how he loved you. You know the story of George Matheson. George Matheson was a young man that was saved and went into the ministry. And just before he was engaged to get married, he got an infection in one of his eyes. And he went to the doctor. And the doctor's told him, he says, George, I've got bad news. Within a few days, weeks, you'll be blind. You'll never see again. George Matheson, with a broken heart, went back and told his fiancée, and he said to her, look, I'm going to be blind in a few weeks' time. I'm never going to see again. Do you want to be married to a man that's blind? Do you think that you can invest your life in a man that's hindered because he's no eyesight? You know, a few days later, she come back and she says, George, I've been thinking about what you said. You know, I don't think that I could go through with, with our, our wedding. And she took a ring that was off her finger, engagement ring, and she handed it back to this man that was going blind. And with his dim eyes and the tears that began to flow, he took his pen, and this is what he wrote, Oh, love, that wilt not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. Behold how he loved him. The love of God is greater far. And tongue or pen can ever tell goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. You know, there's one thing in this story that you never read. You never read about Lazarus loving him. Whenever Mary and Martha sent the message to the Savior, they said, He whom thou lovest is sick. They didn't say, He who loves you is sick. And I wonder, dear friends, this morning, could our relatives say that about us? My, that man, he loves the Savior. He loves him with all of his zeal and with all of his body, soul, and spirit. But they couldn't say it about Lazarus. And not only in this story is there the declaration of the crowd and the despair of the sisters, and not only is there the delay of the master. This is what I'm after this morning. I'm getting to it. There's this display of his power. I tell you, dear men and women, is that not what we're longing for in this day? A display of divine power? Is that not the lacking need in every one of our lives, if truth be told? Lord, I need an input of divine power into my life. And in this dark, dire situation, thank God there was one who is willing to display his power, and thank God he's still the very same today. I want you to cast your eye down to verse 38. It says, Jesus therefore groaned in himself, cometh to the grave, 
It was a cave and a stone laid upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. I want to tell you, dear friends, this morning is a tremendous lesson for us to learn here. You know, God will only do what you and I can't do. And I fear that many of us, we want revival. So we don't have to do the dirty work. But God will do what we cannot do. And he said, take ye away the stone. You know, we've got a responsibility for souls all around us that are perishing. You and I have a responsibility for our neighbors, our family members. Men and women without Christ and without hope and without God. We have to do what we can. We have to pray and we have to witness and we have to try and win them to the Lord. Take ye away the stone. In Isaiah chapter 62 it says, gather out the stone. You know, dear men and women, there's things that you and I need to do. There's stones of disobedience that need to be removed. There's stones of doubt that need to be taken out of the way. There's stones that you and I need to put our hand to and our shoulders to take them out of the road before God can move. And even in this very assembly, you have a responsibility and I have a responsibility here to do what we can. Take ye away the stone. I want you to cast your eye down to verse 43. In verse 43 it says, And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice and said, Lazarus, come forth. And I want you to see this scene. I want you to see the Lord Jesus Christ standing at this graveside. I want you to see the tears and the broken heart. I want you to see them taking the stone out of the way. And then the Lord Jesus in all of his majestic power and divine authority. This is what he says. He says, Lazarus, come forth. Come forth. Come out of the grave. Come away from the death. Lazarus come forth. And it says, and he that was dead came forth. I haven't got time to go into it this morning. Time's beating me. But I want to tell you there's three tremendous pictures here. There's a picture of the sinner at conversion. Do you remember whenever you're still in your sin? My, you remember whenever you're in bondage and in the grave, dead in trespasses and in sin far away from God. There was a day in our life when we hear, heard the Savior's call, come forth. Come forth. Come forth into life. And that day we came by faith and we put our trust in the Lord Jesus. What a picture. But there's not only a picture here of the sinner at conversion. There's a picture here of the saints at the rapture. You know, there's coming a day, it may even be today, when all that are in the grave shall hear the voice of the Son of Man and shall come forth. John said in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, I heard a voice and it says, come up. I tell you, dear friends, there's coming a day whenever we're going to go up. There's coming a day when we're leaving all our possessions behind, all of your money that you're storing in the bank, we're going to leave it behind. All of the business that you've been investing your time in, we're going to leave it behind. And we're going to see the sinless, spotless Son of God, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Face to face shall I behold him. 
Oh, face to face, what will it be? But you know, dear friends, this is what I'm getting to. I'm getting to it finally here. There's not only a picture of the sinner at conversion, and there's not only a picture of the saints at the rapture. There's a picture of so many in the church. Cast your eye again to verse 44. And it says, He that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Oh, dear friends, this morning, there's so many, maybe even here, and you've got divine life. You've got that resurrection life, that day that you were saved, born again by the Spirit of God, no doubt about it. But I wonder, have you got abundant life? I wonder, have you got this overflowing life in your soul where there's victory and power and enjoyment in the things of God? You see here, Lazarus came forth and he was bound. He was bound by his hands. He was bound by his feet. And he had a napkin around his face. Here was a man that was prohibited from going on with God. Here was a man that couldn't use the power that God wanted him to have because he was still in the old grave clothes of a bygone day. I'm getting to it now. I want to tell you, dear friend, in this meeting, there's so many, maybe even I here today, and you're still in the old grave clothes of the past. Oh, come forth. You did come forth. But you've come forth and you're still bound. Bound and fettered. Bound by some secret sin that no one else knows anything about. Bound by unforgiveness. Bound by some addiction. Bound by pornography. Bound by anger. Bound by gossip. Bound by some attitude. Bound and hindered from going on with God. You know, whenever you're in the work of the Lord, you'll see men and women and they, they make an attempt to go through with God time and time again. You'll maybe see them whenever an appeal is made and they'll come to the front and they'll say, Lord, I'm really going to go through with God. And maybe after a few weeks' time, they go back again. There's no real victory. There's no real breaking through. They maybe come to the prayer meetings for two or three months. And then they pull back again. Maybe get deliverance from some sin and then it seems to draw them back. Oh, I want to say to you this morning, bound. Bound. I wonder what's holding you from going on with God. The cry of my heart during the week has, Lord, show me the old bandages of death that would hinder me from really going through with you. Some bandage, Lord, that is hindering me from doing the service of God. Some bandage, Lord, from really breaking through into the abundant life. You know, we sing about it, friends. We sing life, life, abundant life. Jesus alone is the giver. Is there much sign of it today? You know, there's an old man, and I heard him many years ago, and he was in the gospel hall, and he says whenever he was in the assembly on a Sunday morning, the whole church was alive. It was alive. He said you'd have heard men and women say, oh, amen. Oh, that's lovely. 
He said you used to hear the sisters round the table just saying, Oh, Lord. You used to hear men and women in the meeting agreeing. The whole meeting was just alive with abundant life. An overflow. And so many of us seems this morning, maybe even here, are hindered from going through with God. It may not be some bandage of sin, it may be your bandages of work. And that's why the writer of the Hebrews said, lay aside every weight, every good weight, and the sin that does so, so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before. To lay aside like Bartimaeus of old whenever he came to the Lord. It says, this is what it says, it says that he took off his garment and he threw it out of the way. He was liberated and released. Oh dear men and women this morning, are we released? Are we set free? Are we really living in the blessing of being liberated and born again by the Spirit of God? The freedom that only Christ can give. You know, I wonder, did they get this tradition of binding up the corpse? I wonder, did they get it whenever they were down in Egypt? You'll remember whenever the children of Israel were down in Egypt, those 400 years, I wonder, did they, did they imitate the Egyptians in the burial? And here is Lazarus, this man that was bound, so associated with the world. And one of the things that the Lord has been laying on my heart in recent days, the Lord has been saying to me, Stephen, I would love to use you more than I can, but you're going to have to come separate from the world. You're going to have to throw off the grave clothes, the bandages, lay aside all the weight and the sin that does so easily beset. I heard the story recently of a man away out in the backside of America, and he drove up a long dusty lane into a farm. And there was a chicken coop, a few hens scratching and picking. And he looked inside the chicken coop, and there was a big bald eagle, bald-headed eagle, walking around the chicken coop. And he said to the farmer, he says, man, that shouldn't be in there. Well, what's it doing? Ah, he says, I found it one day, and I put it in with my chickens. My, this majestic bird that was made for the higher plane, it was sitting in a little chicken coop, Walking like a chicken, clucking like a chicken, scratching like a chicken. And that man went in and he got that lovely, that, that lovely bird, that bald-headed eagle, and brought it out. And that eagle stretched its mighty wings. And with one swoop, was liberated into a new place. Oh, friend, this morning, if you don't remember anything else that I have to say to you from the Word of God, God has got so much more for us than what we have today. The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. You hear a man going to Alcoholics Anonymous, and you know what he'll say to you after 13 years? He'll say, I'm only one drink away. My dear friends, God never intended that for the children of God. Liberty. Freedom. Release from the old sins of a bygone day. Set free. Going through with him. I want you to notice this, that he was bound by his hand. Cast your eye again to verse 44. And it says, And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot. You know the hands always speak of service. Here was this man, Lazarus. He had new resurrected life. He had eternal life. But he didn't have abundant life. And he came forth and his hands were tied up. He couldn't do for God what God wanted him to do. I wonder, are you tied up? 
You know, I had the experience last week of a woman that rang me and she said, Stephen, I want you to call and see a man. She's not well. I want you to go out and tell him about the Lord Jesus. I want, to t- want you to tell him about the gospel. And I had a few things to do that day. I was busy here and there. And you know, whenever I got out to that home, the man was away in the hospital. He'd fail. He was an alcoholic. And I remember standing at that door and I says, Oh God, whatever you do, don't let that man die. Lord, don't let me miss this opportunity. And I went out the next day and thank God he was just coming up the, up the lane in the ambulance. Hands were bound by many good things. Ministry wasn't effective. He wasn't liberated. His hands couldn't do the bidding of the master. But he came forth bound hand. And then it says his foot. He couldn't do what God wanted him to do. And he couldn't go where God wanted him to go. You know dear friends in this meeting this morning. God has got something for you to do. That no one else in this meeting can do. God has saved you for a divine purpose. God has saved you and put you into the body for you to do something for him. God has something and somewhere where he wants you to go. And there's so many of us this morning that have vacated the the calling of God because we're bound. Bound. Bound by tradition. Bound by the fear of man. Bound by respectability. Bound by some sin, as we've said earlier on. Ah, he couldn't go where God wanted him to go. He couldn't do what God wanted him to do. And then it says he had a napkin around his mouth. (laughs) We hear a lot today about believers saying, I'm not going to wear a mask. I want to tell you, dear friends, this morning, there's maybe some of you even here, and you've got a mask on your face and you don't even know it's there. Bound around the face. He couldn't see the way God wanted him to see. This man had no vision of a dying world. This man had no vision of the state of the community around him. This man had no vision or burden for souls. He couldn't see. Oh, dear friends, let me say it again. It's one of the reasons why we don't weep in our prayer meeting. It's one of the reasons why we don't get out of the bed in the early hours of the morning. It's one of the reasons why we don't witness and win men and women to the Lord because we're bound round with a napkin. We can't see. You know, he couldn't see the Lord the way he ought to see. Couldn't see the Lord Jesus in all of his beauty. Couldn't see the Lord Jesus in all of his majesty. Just a blurred vision. You know, that's why so many of you this morning will sing the last hymn and you'll go out through the door because you have no vision of the Lord. You've never seen him on the cross of Calvary there dying for you. You've never stood and gazed at him who loved me and gave himself for me. No vision. You know, this man came forth and he was bound. He was bound by the hands and he was bound by the foot. I was thinking of the hymn during the week, All for Jesus, all my beings, ransom powers, all my thoughts and words and doings, all my days and all my hours, 
Let my hands perform his bidding. Let my feet run in his ways. Let my eyes see Jesus only. Let my lips speak forth his praise. Here was a man that had a napkin around his mouth and he couldn't, he couldn't witness for the Lord the way he wanted. He was dumb. There was nothing came out of his mouth. Oh, friends, may you and I be liberated and set free. Set free that we may go where God wants us to go. Set free that we may do what God wants us to do. Set free that we may see what he wants us to see. But you know, finally, the Lord Jesus went on, and if you cast your eye down to it, in verse 44 at the very end, it says here, loose him and let him go. I want to thank God this morning that the Lord Jesus not only has a saving ministry, I want to praise him this morning that not only has he a restoring ministry, I want to praise him this morning that he is a releasing ministry. And he can release and set the, set the captive free. He's the one that breaks the power of cancelled sin. He's the one that can liberate us for service. He's the one that not only can give us eternal life and divine life and resurrected life, but oh, thank God, he can give us abundant life. Jesus alone is the giver. He said, loose him and let him go. You remember the story of the colt? Whenever the Lord Jesus was going up into Jerusalem, he sent two disciples into a wee village called Bethsaida. And he said, you'll find a colt and it'll be tied at a place where two roads meet. He said, loose him and let him go, for I have need of him. Dear friend, this morning God has need of you. And he wants to liberate you. He wants you to go into that sphere of service that he has called you to do. You remember what the Lord Jesus said? He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim deliverance to the captive and set at liberty those that are bound. I don't know what you're bound by this morning. I don't know what that thing could be that could be holding you back. But I want to tell you the Lord Jesus Christ this very morning is able to liberate you, set you free, bring you into a new place with himself. Loose him. And let him go. Here was Lazarus, this man. You know, there was nothing attractive about him whenever he came out of the grave and he was bound. There was nothing beautiful about him whenever he stood at the grave with these bandages around his face and the bandages around his hands and his feet. There was nothing attractive about him. But you read away over in John's Gospel, chapter 12 and verse 10, that many came out to see him. There was an attraction about this man. Whenever he was liberated, man wanted to see what God had done in his life. And he was such a threat to the enemy's kingdom that the Pharisees and Sadducees wanted to kill him. And he never said a word. You'll not find one word of Lazarus mentioned in the Bible. Here was a man that began to live for God. Now I want to ask you one question as I close. Have you got it? Have I got it? This abundant life Liberated for the Lord, on fire for God, a passion for the world, a vision of dying souls, an adoration for the Son of God, the one who gave himself for us. Cast your eye to verse 1 of chapter 12. You know the very first thing that happened to Lazarus whenever he was set free? 
The very first thing that came into this man's life, whenever he was liberated from the old dead bandages of a bygone day, in verse 1 of chapter 12, it says then, six days before the Passover came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. This man now that was brought into a new place, this man that was liberated, you know what he wanted? The longing of Lazarus's heart is he wanted to spend time with the Savior. He wanted just to be in the presence of the one that liberated him. You know, you'll never read of Lazarus before this ever being in the company of Jesus. You'll never read of him anywhere else in the Bible just being in his company. But now whenever he's got this abundant life, this liberated life, he just wants to be in the presence of his Lord. He wants to spend time with him. He wants to listen and hear his words. He wants to gaze upon him. This man that has done so much for me, why would I not want to be in his company? Why would I not want to serve him? And here is Lazarus, this man that was a vessel unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use. What bondage would God need to liberate you from this morning? Some secret sin? Some bondage of unforgiveness? Some bondage of some habit or bigotry? Some bondage of doubt or fear? Some bondage that's prohibiting you from going on and going through into this abundant, overflowing life? Well, there's one word that would come from the Master's lips this morning. is loose him and let him go. Release. Lord, bring me into a new place with yourself. Lord, bring me into a place where I have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Bring me into that place, Lord, where I have a sharp axe head. Bring me into that place where we can bring mighty cedars down. Bring me into that place where you will get all of the glory. You know, Lazarus was never the same again. Lazarus, this man that was liberated, this man that was set free, he was now effective for God. I wonder, is that the prayer of your heart? I have just delivered to you this morning what God has given me. I wonder, is there some of us here and we've got life, but the Lord would want you to have abundant life. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, we thank you for the truth that the Lord Jesus Christ not only died on the cross of Calvary to forgive our sins, but we thank you that this morning that he's the one that is able to free us from our sin. We thank you this morning, as the hymn writer could say, that Jesus, the glorious emancipator. And Lord, I pray this morning that so many of us in this hall will go into a new place with thyself. Lord, that you'll bring off the old bandages of death. Lord, that you'll bring off the old ties and things that hinder us and prohibit us from doing what you want us to do. 
Hinder us from seeing what you want us to see. Hinder us, Lord, from going where you want us to go. Lord, your word reminds us that the night is far spent. The day is at hand. To let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Oh, Lord, if there's those in the meeting this morning that are bound by some secret sin, some sin of pornography, some sin of lust, some sin of unforgiveness. Oh, Father, we pray this morning that the Lord Jesus Christ will liberate and set them free. We pray for that great emancipator to come and to liberate men and women. Lift us out of death, Lord. Lift us out of barrenness. Lift us out of our apathy and coldness. And Lord, not only bring us forth out of the grave, but loose us and let us go. Oh, Father, we pray this morning as we gather around the table. And Lord, as we sit with thee as Lazarus did in Bethany, just to see thee in all of thy beauty. Lord, there's no greater place than we can be. Just to bask in the company of our Savior. Just to see him in all of his loveliness. Lord, we pray this morning that thou wilt bless us. Lord, as we sing this last hymn, we pray the blessing of God to be our portion. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.